recording, and you can go ahead and uh, you have to press play whenever you're ready. Well, we have to go back to the beginning. It is. I, I moved it back. Yeah, all you have to do is hit the button on the bottom. Hit the space bar. Okay, so... Just hit the space bar. No, the button on the bottom. Space bar. Space bar. Space bar. Right, right here. That's the space bar. Sorry. That's a button. <laughs> it's not back at the beginning. Now it is. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Crypticast. Uh, series one, Culture Shock, Hollywood in Post. I am award-winning filmmaker Mark Ritchie, and this is my partner. Award-winning filmmaker Christian Stavrakis. And our goal here is to produce 10 episodes of a podcast um, every year through 2020. Uh, this series one, of course, being entitled Culture Shock, Hollywood in Post. Um, and this one's going to begin in February 2017, conclude in October of 2017 with a very uh, with an interview with a special guest uh, hosted by us this podcast is really going to focus on the journey of the modern independent filmmaker it's going to discuss in full the trials the tribulations the triumphs associated with producing and distributing in this new hollywood paradigm that we're experiencing um, and each series uh, again will conclude um, by dedicating the final two episodes to interviewing somebody that's in the industry, an industry insider who will share uh, their reflections on what the future holds for Hollywood, the indie market, the film industry in general. Um, I don't know if we need to give too much background on who we are, uh, because people are going to discover that as we go along. Well, because we're world-famous, award-winning people. <laughs> um, Mark and I made a movie about... Well, we finished production about four years ago now. Uh, the movie's called Mortal Remains, and... Uh, We've had an incredible experience making that movie uh, for a very, very low budget. And uh, the, what we've experienced over the past... It's, God, it's been... what? How long? When, I, uh, I wrote it. In eight two, years, yeah, roughly. Totally. Almost eight years now. The industry itself, the medium of, of cinema and you know people... Uh, the, the way people view films or watch films is changing. The, the studios themselves have no idea what's going on. And uh, that's a very, very difficult environment to make and release an independent feature. And the reason that we're doing this is because uh, I, we have spoken to uh, several independent filmmakers, who, who, and we've shared our experience with them, and their request was, you've got to make this information public. Everything that you learned about the, the trials and tribulations of of releasing your film, of getting it distributed, of dealing with distributors... Um, all needs to be, uh, you know, part of this conversation to save other filmmakers time and trouble. And so I, I responded in the affirmative. I never wanted to do a podcast, although I recall Kevin Smith saying it's the first thing that every filmmaker, would-be filmmaker, should do is create a podcast. I think primarily to build a following. Um, that wasn't necessarily our purpose. Our purpose was really to share our journey with filmmakers so that they could listen to what we have to say and and I hope that it saves you guys time over the course of these 10 episodes we're going to be talking about exactly what Chris just mentioned how the system has changed and how to break the code yourself there's no excuse not to to finish your film get it made regardless of your budget or uh, your your current circumstance um, and and get the that uh, you know get your your product your project completed I've, I've seen so many filmmakers 
with great dreams, but who never actually finish anything. And that's exactly the problem that we experienced. We kept saying for years uh, that, you know, well, we could have done yeah, that. We yeah. could do that. I, we could make a film like that. And yet we never bothered. Well, we a, little, bothered. a little backstory here uh, that has some bearing upon our own production is that uh, we went to high school in uh, Wheaton, Maryland with our friend Eduardo Sanchez, who went on to be one of the co-directors of the Blair Witch Project with uh, uh, Dan Myrick. And, you know, when Blair Witch was released in 1999, Mark and I looked at each other and said, well, we could have done that. Why didn't we do that? And, of course, we spent another 10 years saying the same thing over and over instead of actually making a movie. And so uh, I did finally start writing something, and that uh, went through a few incarnations and Mark finally pitched it to a fellow he knows at Sony Pictures and so we tried to break in the old-fashioned way to filmmaking that way and uh, it, it was it's been an adventure because filmmaking does not happen the way it used to uh, I think Francis Coppola actually sums it up best this is kind of the problem the the curse and the blessing of filmmaking in the 21st century and I'm going to use this quote from uh, Hearts of Darkness a brilliant documentary about the making of Apocalypse Now. If you haven't seen it, go see it immediately. But this is actually a, a little post-credits clip that they put on, and it's what he says has enormous bearing on the way the film industry works today. To me, the great hope is that now these little 8mm video recorders and stuff are coming out, and some just people who normally wouldn't make movies are going to be making them, and you know, suddenly one day some little fat girl in Ohio is going to be the new Mozart, you know, and make a a beautiful film with her little father's camera recorder and for once the so-called professionalism about movies will be destroyed forever you know and it will really become an art form that's my opinion <laughs> yeah and that sums it up nicely thank you so much you know you also have uh, greats who who uh, along the lines of Coppola Experienced the 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 upheaval of Hollywood in the in the late seventies, early eighties, when the major studios were being bought out by, you know, uh, larger companies, uh, I, I, you know, companies like Coca Cola and so forth, and um, Scorsese uh, and and really Scott recently had an interview where they talked about the movies are dead. Yeah, cinema is dead. Cinema is dead, and I think I believe they're referring to the art form itself because nowadays you can you have access to I don't know if you would call it cinema what, what, cinema has an artistic definition that isn't necessarily represented in you know cat clips on YouTube yeah I, I guess there's a difference between cinema and entertainment and we should distinguish that I, right I mean you can go to YouTube and watch a scene from a particular movie or one line of dialogue you know there's a I, I mean I remember back when we were kids, you, if you wanted to see a movie again, you had to hope it came on the TV or hope it was re-released into the theater. And it wasn't until we were maybe, what, 10, 11, 12 years old that the video stores started becoming prevalent and you could actually rent a movie and take it home and watch it on your time and stop it if you had to go to the bathroom. and you Or know, study it. Yeah. I can remember. Rewind it and watch it again. I remember right? watching Star Wars and or Raiders of the Lost Ark, I don't know how many times, to uh, to really understand the art form of cinema and, um, you know, there are always going to be bad films made. There's always going to be schlock, uh, whether it's produced by Hollywood or produced by, you know, the no-name filmmaker. Um, but again, some of the point of what we're trying to cover in our podcast is you can't let that stop you. You can't let, I mean, Chris and I struggled with the fact that we 
we're making a, a found footage film merely because of the economics of our of our circumstance. Yeah, we didn't have an option to produce. You know, we didn't have the option to get, uh, uh, you know, the best cinematographer in in the in our area. Um, we we didn't have a crew at all. It was Mark and me, and uh, it only became a found footage film by virtue of having gone through a script reader at Sony. And uh, that's how its its final incarnation ended up being what it is now. And the reason that we pitched to Sony was because we, I can remember having the conversation and, and pitching it over breakfast. And I can remember calling you immediately going, Sony really wants to see your... Uh, we were talking to someone from the acquisitions department. Sony really wants to see your script. And then they sent us liner notes on the script. And, and the first thing that they suggested was that we sort of convert this script of yours into a found footage film. I think they understood our economic condition and... And also at the time, Paranormal Activity had just struck it big. So everybody was looking for a, you know, a, a, a sort of a used car, yeah. uh, a found footage film. But And as it was, because Mark and I live now in different states, uh, he still lives in Maryland. I live in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And so it took us, after a few initial missteps, three years to put the actual final film together. And you know there are still things that we'd like to tweak and change, but it's it's you know it's a decent movie for for what we put into it. I think there's a lot of production value, and well, uh, I mean it's a, and it turns out to be an award winning film, yeah, uh, which is a blessing uh, and and completely unexpected because all we you know like Lucas we kind of look at our film and it go it's unfinished. Uh, we never got to see our films. George Lucas often talks about I never got to see any of the Star Wars films because he was you know sort of behind the scenes he was in production. And um, we experienced, you know, the same thing as any filmmaker would. But here's the point, once again, for independent filmmakers who are listening to this. Don't let that stop you. You have to continue pursuing the dream. You have to continue production. And And start immediately. Yes, don't 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 sit around and twiddle your thumbs and wait for somebody to give you money or wait to write, you know, to come up with a brilliant story. Just start making movies. Make shorts. Make practice. You know, get your cinematography skills down. Uh, you know, if you can't afford to pay someone to be a cameraman, do it yourself. Watch movies. See how this... I mean, there, there are plenty of good books out there about how to frame a shot, mise-en-scene, stuff like that. When we, were, when we were finished filming, I remember being very depressed, thinking, this is it. This is what we produced. I mean, if somebody had told me at that time, look, you're going you're gonna to tour your film through film festivals up and down the East Coast and walk away with four different awards, one in editing, one in direction, an audience favorite... Um, I would have been. I would have told you you're nuts. You're absolutely crazy. But then again, that's exactly what George Lucas felt like when he ended up meeting Spielberg on the set of Close Encounters with star with photos from Star Wars. And he says, and 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 of course Spielberg's looking at these photos, going, "Good God, that sand crawler is amazing." Mm-hmm. And Lucas is going, "Yeah, the picture didn't come out like I had hoped." And it, you know, I had scenes that had unfinished sets and so forth. And, and look what happens when you go back and try to fix your film years later. <laughs> so. So now back to the, the, the topic of conversation, which is our focus on independent filmmakers. So independent filmmakers are, are you're going to be listening to us right now and you're going to be saying the same thing that we said several years ago. Uh, but, you know, what are the chances? I mean, everybody's goal is to break into Hollywood. That's what you want to do. You want to be a Hollywood filmmaker. And right now, Hollywood is pulling their directors from the indie film scene. Spielberg, for example, we use, his, we use him a lot. He's the director of our generation. 
Spielberg is looking for directors with a voice. And um, so I did a little bit of research on, on where current directors are coming from. Who are these guys that are getting um, the, the, the current big blockbuster tentpole films? And one of the names, several of the names that jumped out at me were Ryan Johnson, Duncan Jones, Gareth Edwards. But the one that really jumped out at me was uh, Colin Trevorrow. He's the gentleman that ju recently directed Jurassic World. And once I get uh, once I hear of a director's name, the, the first thing I do is I go to IMDb, and I want to look up their their filmography. This guy had one short, one documentary, one TV movie, and one independent film that was released in 2012. This guy was in the business for 10 years before he finally finished his first feature. Alrighty, and uh, the the movie was called Safety Not Guaranteed. Um, I, I've yet to see it, so I can't speak on behalf of, of the, the film or the film's quality or anything along those lines. But I will say this. So Brad Bird, who is um, uh, of Pixar fame, and I, I quite honestly, I think Pixar is God's gift to Hollywood. I think they are the, the, the atelier of, of, of the true atelier of Hollywood. Um, Brad Bird is asked by uh, Marshall and Kennedy, the producers for Jurassic World, uh, uh, Kathleen Kennedy, Frank Marshall, hey, would you direct Jurassic World? He says, no, but I recently saw a film. I think you guys should check it out. And that film happened to be Safety Not Guaranteed by Colin Trevorrow. And, and the next thing you know, this guy is in Spielberg's office. And after one meeting, this guy with only one feature film under his belt is hired to, to direct one of the biggest films of, of 20, what was that, 2015 when it came out? That's unreal. So right now, Hollywood is looking for, they're searching for independent filmmakers. And the only way that you're going to get recognized is if you have a product. And in often cases, a web series is not the product that you're going to be aiming for. You're going to want to finish or complete a feature. They want to know that you can complete a feature. Um, an, a, you know, an 84 to 120 minute film um, that has, you know, a, a beginning, middle and end, an entire plot story. So not so much based on a short or a web series or any of these other options that are out there. And those are all great options. If that's all you can afford to do, that's what you should be doing, practicing the craft. But these, these guys all had uh, features under their belt, and that's something that you should consider as an independent filmmaker. You want to be shooting for financing, even if you have to do it yourselves. I mean, that's what we did with our film, a feature film. Get it out there. Um, now, we had everything going against us. And I think of the conversation that we had with Ed Sanchez, the director of the Blair Witch Project, who you just, you mentioned before, right? Mm -hmm. That we went to high school with Ed. And Ed, of course, the godfather of, of found footage. So, of course, he was a resource that we wanted to, uh, that we wanted to access. But um, the first thing that Ed said to us is, Hollywood's completely changed from the Hollywood you remember. And we read the trade papers and so forth, but for some reason this happened under our noses and we didn't recognize it. And Ed said, just to let you know, there is no seed money in Hollywood. So you're not going to go to Hollywood, you're not going to pitch your story, which is exactly what we did. Yeah, remember, Sony. this is seven, eight years ago, too, and how much it's changed since then. But yes, at the time, it was already in flux. And uh, that, you know, Mark and I, uh, having waited until we were kind of in our 40s to start making, well, we were, what, 39 at the time. But uh, to start making our feature film finally, which we tried to do for many years, tried to finish a feature since high school. And uh, again, that, again, coming up with every excuse. Oh, well, we don't have the money. We don't have the money. Oh, well, we yeah. don't have the talent. Oh, sure. but we don't, you know. Yeah, how many films did we not finish? Um, we should finish them now. <laughs> we'll, go back. we'll go back and finish yeah, them. Yeah, but um, 
even back then, we were sort of a, uh, we had that old Hollywood notion of you can walk into an office, pitch a story, and they'll say, sure, we'll give you X amount of dollars to go make that. That doesn't happen anymore. Don't don't put your eggs in that basket because that basket doesn't exist. Uh, what they want now is... Content. Yeah, go make it, and then we'll talk. And then, well, then we'll buy it from you uh, for, yeah. a, for a small sum, and we'll turn it into a franchise like they did with Oren Paley's uh, uh, Paranormal. Paranormal Activity. Yeah, and if they don't want to make it uh, or distribute it, you're going to have to end up making it yourself. Um the trap you're liable to fall into is that of uh, aggregation, which is that there are any number of quote unquote you know studios, distribution outlets out there, which are usually one guy in a house in Ohio or somewhere, and they will buy your content for a fraction of what you spent to make it. They'll say, you know, we'll give you two or three thousand dollars up front, and that's it. They'll buy it from you outright. They'll sell your film in a package with five or six other films to. Netflix or whatever, and they'll get a big paycheck, and you're done. You're out of the picture. So your only uh, saving grace from that avenue is exposure. So, okay, maybe somebody sees your film and says, well, this is pretty good. I'd like to see this guy make another movie. But uh, Similar you, to safety, not guaranteed? You can't bet on that. Yeah, exactly. So unless you're, you know, unless you're lucky enough to get called into Spielberg's office, um, there is, you know, that's the double-edged sword of what Coppola had to say earlier about the accessibility of filmmaking in the 21st century, because now people are making movies literally on their phone. You can you can shoot and edit a movie on your iPhone with the right app, and uh, there are festivals that are strictly based strictly, on yeah, yeah. iPhone uh, uh, content. And it's a blessing and a curse because it's a blessing because anyone, including the little fat girl in Ohio, like Coppola says, can make a beautiful movie given the the opportunity and the and the inspiration. But uh, consequently, there is a glut of of product on the market. Uh, particularly in the horror genre, you know, everyone's making a little backyard slasher film or backyard zombie movie, and uh, people are snapping them up for, you know, $1,000, $2,000. And so there are a lot of these indie features that are are, are going to video that uh, I don't want to say don't deserve to, but it just makes it harder to weed through those and find the projects that really have quality. And uh, that's kind of what fascinates me is seeing which ones still rise, the cream still rises to the top. And every year uh, there are a few... A few movies that, you know, some some were indie. There's a lot of a lot of studio stuff that's being pumped out mostly by, uh, you know, Blumhouse and uh, yeah, what was it? That's the Insidious series and the. Uh, that's all. And Blumhouse, I think yeah. they're still doing Paranormal, paranormal Activity yeah, movies, yeah, aren't that they? Was, yeah, that was part of their operation. So, but that's kind of where the studio horror films are going. And now it's you know again remakes and sequels. There's a new Ring movie coming out, um, but the, the 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 opportunity is still there if you have uh, a vision. That's unique enough or, or novel enough. Uh, Hollywood has now become an IP management company anyways. It, it truly has. We're going to be talking about uh, this new distribution paradigm um, and, the, and the opportunities that are available to independent filmmakers and how you can kind of break that code and work around the system. We're going to get into that in a later um, episode. We're going to be talking about the state of Hollywood in a later episode. I mean, where it is. Uh, right now, for this, the purpose of this uh, podcast was really more of an introductory into sort of our experiences, um, where we're coming from, and why we're doing this. And I want to go ahead and throw out a very interesting stat. If you had seen The Blair Witch Project in a pre-screener, DV, on, a, on a pre-screener DVD, would you have thought that that film was going to go anywhere? Or had you seen uh, uh, Paranormal Activity? Uh, now, I'm just using these two as example for a reason, but, but two found footage films. If you had seen Paranormal Activity as a, as a screener, would you have thought, oh, wow, that film is going to be huge. But mind you, 
that the Blair Witch Project for 10 years uh, uh, held the most profitable film of all time status based on return of investment um, before that record was broken by Paranormal Activity, which made its money 13,000 times over. So the two most profitable films of all time based on return of investment, based on ROI, were two independent found footage films. Um, I, and I just find that fascinating. And that is I, some of what uh, kept me going while we were shooting our film was, holy cow, we're, you know what I mean? If these guys can do it and make the two most profitable films of all time, no, these weren't Hollywood films, but they were picked up by Hollywood Studios. Uh, uh, who was who did uh, Blair, which was picked up by uh, well Ar- at the time it was Artisan, Artisan, which is now Lionsgate, and and then Paranormal Activity, which is picked up by Sony. Um, in comparison, think about this: most Hollywood tent films are marginally successful. After you've acc- accounted for the astronomical budgets, the cost of uh, star power, the marketing costs, the net profit on these things is minimal. Um, and, and, and Hollywood is very good at saving face. They tout that these films are billion-dollar world si- worldwide successes. And hype sells tickets. And that's something we're also going to get in, in in a later episode, talking about the power of hype. But in actuality, these independent films are making more money because they're made for less. And, and I think that's what has made Jason Blumhouse Productions, uh, uh, Blumhouse Productions so successful, is they've found a way to get rid of the paddy wagons and get you know they're serving pizza for lunch instead of crafts having craft Honey services the, the uh the honey uh, the honey wagons thank you sorry. <laughs> sorry the honey wagons we didn't have honey wagons on our set so what <laughs> we had paddy wagons actually yeah we got they were away ready to, yes they were ready to haul us away right uh for use of illegal locations but um but the 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 point being is is that Hollywood is a lot of hype and they're very good at it. Uh, we're going to teach you guys, or we're going to talk about hype. We're going to talk about the power of hype and how you can use hype uh, to get yourself uh, you know, exposure on a social media platforms and so forth. There are tricks of the trade. We're going to be talking about those in, uh, in later episodes as well. So um, the real lesson here, hopefully we're getting the point across, is that you've got to get out there You've got to make your film happen. You have no idea what's going to happen with your film. You never know, and you cannot use excuses. You could, you just can't. I mean, we did yeah, that just for many years. Just do it. You just got to get it done. And and uh, are you familiar with Maddie Dew? Who? The, uh, Maddie Dew is a is a Laos oh, from filmmaker. Laos. Yeah, from yeah, Laos. Yeah. She's a filmmaker, uh, and and I recently read a fascinating article. I wanted to read a quote from the article, which was from Wired.com. Um, about Maddie Dew. And this is an independent filmmaker who has nothing. She's on her third feature, and she works in a country that doesn't even have a film industry. There is no film infrastructure in Laos. Uh, So the quote reads, she enlists her screenwriter husband to help her put ideas onto the page. She's crowdfunded and works with a Lao brewery to make her productions, within which a luxurious crew might be 10 people, Whereas a major U.S. film would have a, a, a much larger crew, uh, you know. Sometimes, uh, 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 my God, sometimes you have a film crew of uh, your, your your camera crew is just ten people alone in a major U.S. production. Uh, and throughout uh, Dew's filmmaking, she used her home as a setting, cast her own dog in a role, and trained actors on set. And seeing the, the results, you would never guess 
that her her recent film, Dearest Sister, stems from such a non-traditional film process. And it's not just Maddie Doe. It's also, uh, I think there's a big... There's a lot of ethnic filmmaking going on now, too, especially, I think, in the Columbus or Cleveland, Ohio, Columbus. There's, like, a big Somali filmmaking hmm, interesting. revolution going on. Yeah, but a lot of ethnic filmmaking. Um, but, yeah, that's that that's the thing. I mean, if there's any kind of a hook you can latch onto, write, just write your story. Write a story. Uh, don't write concentrating on budget or or content. You know, don't. I mean, obviously, you're not going to write a scene at the Super Bowl because that's probably. <laughs> but you not can even happen. fake that now with but green you, screen. But tech. sure, you could fake there it. There are yeah. so many ways to, you know. Yeah, don't don't let navigate post production. Don't let the realities of production hamper your vision because sometimes having your hands tied monetarily is a blessing. You know, being forced to come up with a, a creative solution to get what you want to see on the screen. And there's always a way. There's always a way. You know, we had a, in our film, we had a riot sequence with, I think, 10 people. And, you know, between clever editing and sound effects, Mark put it together in such a way that it looks like there's 100 people screaming and, and vomiting in the street and whatever. But there's always a way around it. You know, there, there's there's always a solution to fill the frame with what you what you want to see there that, to get your point across. And uh, we'll talk about that, too. You know, this creative filmmaking. Uh, personally, I often find, uh, you know, the first run of a, of a franchise is often the best. Now, the one exception in that category, for me, is The Empire Strikes Back. I think, I think the film is better than Star Wars. Uh, I think that's because of the script, primarily. Uh, because it, I think it had a stronger director. Not to put George Lucas down as a director. He's a fine director. I just think... That the human touch that was added to the to Empire made it for made it a, made a better film. I agree. But 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 when you think of the Raiders series, I always go back to Raiders of the Lost Ark. The by the time, time they had, it became a cliche of itself. By the time you hit Temple of Doom and the Last Crusade, these are great films. I, I'm not putting any films down. We're not here to put films down. We're just here to share our personal preferences. But I think of Back to the Future and how they they you know. They boy, they were behind in production. Right now, I'm I'm reading uh, the Back to the Future, uh, the making of book called We Do Not Need Roads. The back to, uh, based on a, a Back to the Future, uh, uh, Back to the Future trilogy by Cassim Gaines, and he uh, talks about you know the, how the fact that they they ended up uh, you know dumping their lead actor and, and bringing in Michael J. Fox um, in order to complete production. So here they were a month into filming, and they ended up scrapping all of this footage, and then. You know they had to. They had. To, they only had six months to put the entire film together um, and complete production. They, which means they they had already lost half of their budget by the or a quarter of their a third of their budget, I should say. By the time they, they had already paid everybody their day wages for a month. Did they shoot the whole and movie pretty much? With almost Eric Stoltz? The, almost then, the entire film. Almost. Wow. You know, it was a month's worth of shooting. They probably had another month or so to go. Wow. Um, but. Uh, well, same thing happened with Apocalypse Now that they replaced Harvey Keitel. Keitel, right, the lead. right. Yeah, yeah, you know what I mean? Martin Sheen. These are tough decisions that filmmakers make, but the point being is the economics of filmmaking should not be what prevents you from making films. I think about the clip that I recently saw on YouTube where Ridley Scott was talking about how they were going to shoot an interior shot in the spaceship and get it to look degraded, and he just used a VHS camera uh, and then had it converted to 35 millimeter. But mm -hmm. I'm thinking to myself, what? Ridley Scott used a VHS camera. Yeah. You know what I mean? He did the same thing on Alien. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm, what did I say? I was. Th I was. I'm referring to Alien. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, he shot the uh, the footage of the ship, the wrecked, yeah, derelict yeah. ship out on the planet. Yeah, he shot it with a video camera, and then 
that looked like there's their suit camera, and then when it was degraded and staticky and yeah, everything, it looked fantastic. like it was real. Yeah, 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 yeah. it worked brilliantly. And uh, and he did it on the cheap too. And he he's commenting about how we didn't ha- we couldn't afford to do it in post. We had to do it live on set. Mm-hmm. It had to be in camera. And and uh, the other the other person that jumps to mind is Francis Ford Coppola, who when he was doing Dracula mm-hmm. with Gary Oldman. Um, you know, shot on eight millimeter cameras. He shot on a variety of different cameras, and that was a trick of the trade that we used in our film. I mean, yeah, we wanted to go out and get a top uh, a top quality camera. We're going to talk about that debacle oh my God. in a later yeah. episode. Uh, you know, something that shot in twenty four p, and then oftentimes we ended up using cheap Sony cameras, and the, the quality of the footage it turned out to be dynamite. In any case. Um, so, once again, the purpose of this podcast is to be inspiring. It's to encourage filmmakers. It's to tell you, look, we have a lot of the answers based on our journey in the last eight years as Hollywood was changing, uh, as Hollywood was, was morphing, really. We experienced a lot. We want to share it with you guys for free. We're not asking for anything in return. All we want to do is help other independent filmmakers and you know, make it through their struggle. Um, and uh, so that's where we're going to wrap for this episode. Yeah, it's it's and like Mark was saying. It's easier to, to say no. <laughs> yeah, well, it's e- it's easier to sit around and and talk about why you haven't made a movie or why you can't make the movie you want to make. Uh, but it's never been easier to make a movie. Uh, you that's know, true. When, yeah, that's well said. When we were young, well said. You had to, you had to have access to the equipment first of all. You had to buy film stock. You had to pay for that stock to be processed. You had to have access to editing equipment. Uh, you know, when we were finally in high school, we had the luxury of filming on VHS and editing on a big VHS deck at our high school. And that was kind of our first cinematic go round with, you know, learning the format and learning how to cut sequences together. And uh, it, it only gets easier and easier as the technology advances. So uh, it's never been easier to make a movie. Go make one. All right, folks, we're going to wrap up here. Uh, catch us in episode two uh, coming up next month. We'll see you then. 